If you have a Bible, please open it with me this morning to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible and you're using that black Bible in front of you, it's page 1535. 1535 in the black Bible in front of you. Like I said this morning, I'm speaking about defending a sacred space. Uh, And this was a value that was important to me in my childhood. Uh, Growing up, I was raised in a Christian family. My parents were missionaries in Hong Kong. Uh, And so my parents were missionaries in Hong Kong. They said, you don't get to go to an English-speaking school. You're going to a Chinese-speaking school. But along with the uh, Chinese education, another thing that was given to me was uh, that that defense of sacred space. And their priority really was, hey, whether you want to or not, you are going to have an opportunity to hear from God. Anybody in their church experience ever heard the phrase three to thrive? Anybody say that? Three to thrive, what it is, is in, at least in a Baptist background upbringing, uh, what it was was you go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and those were the three secrets to thrive in your spiritual life. And if you miss one, whoo, I don't even know what was going to happen. My parents bought into that philosophy, and we were at church, uh, whether we wanted to be or not, and we loved it. We loved it. I enjoyed it. I don't have any, like, scars from my parents taking me to church. Uh, one time, though, I was probably a freshman in high school, and... My mom was getting everybody ready to go to the evening service at the church. My dad pastored a church here in San Leandro. And I was hoping maybe, just maybe, I mean, I think there were five kids that mom had to get ready. And so we had a big family. And I was thinking, maybe they'll forget about me. And so we had a, we had a tent set up in the family room, uh, in our little playroom. And so we, I snuck in there, zipped the tent shut. <laughs> Of course, it didn't work, and, you know, I was hoping mom would come in to find me, but, of course, she sent uh, my little brother or somebody in. He opened up the tent. I was pretending to be asleep. Oh, is it church time already? And, of course, siblings aren't going to fall for that. Of course, it's church time, Charles. You know better. But the philosophy at home was always you are going to hear from, you are going to have a chance to hear from God whether you like to or not. That sentiment plus a little bit of violence is what we see here in this passage this morning. Hopefully you're there. And so I'm going to read, and you can follow along, Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 17. Jesus entered the temple area, and he drove out all that were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame, they came to him at the temple and he healed them there. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praised? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Let's pray together. 
Dear God, thank you for the joy of new life and just the uh, exciting time for me today. Thank you, Lord God, for being a God that desires relationship with us. Thank you, Lord, for being a God that sought out Adam in the coolness of the day. Thank you, Lord, for being a God that pursues relationship with us. What is man that you would be thoughtful of him, Lord, or the son of man? You should think of him. Remind us today, God, that we ought to be defending our sacred spaces. Let us not have idols that crowd into our lives, but may we love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Amen. We don't do it very much, but occasionally my family and I will have wrestling match, matches at our house. And for wrestling, uh, it means different things to the three kids that we have. For Brooklyn, it means lifting her up and dropping her on the bed and just doing that over and over. And so up and down and up and down. And she just, she loves just bouncing on the bed. For Gabriel, he wants to be tickled. And so he'll come in, he'll try to get a couple of shots in. But after a couple of shots, I grab him and it's just, you know, fingers into the ribs. And it's just, ah, and I tickle Gabriel. And then Caleb likes to be chased. And so he's kind of a distance attack kind of a guy. He wants to come in. He wants to, you know, get a kick in. And then he just wants to run around the room. And so I'm jumping over the bed and, you know, trying to grab him. And occasionally, all three of these things will be going simultaneously, right? And so Brooklyn's getting up, down, up, down. And then, you know, Gabriel will come and grab me from behind. And I'll, oh, yeah, right. And I'll throw him on the bed and I'll start tickling him. And then Caleb will come over. He'll get his, his kick in. I'm like, I'm coming for you, buddy. And you, you could imagine the ungodly amount of noise that is generated by this kind of activity, right? And so we're in, our, we're in my bedroom towards the back of the house just going crazy. And what's happened more than once is Kristen will walk into the room. Uh, Kristen is my wife. And she'll walk in the room and say, can you not hear me? I've called you for dinner like 28 times. And at that moment, like, we, we know. And so we're just deers in the headlight, you know. The room goes silent. We're stuck. Because what Kristen isn't saying was like, oh, did you not hear me? Right? That's, that's not what she's saying. She's saying, can you not hear me? How is it that what she's saying is, how is it that you're making so much noise and having such a rambunctious time in this room that you can't even hear me as I'm screaming from the kitchen for you to come eat dinner? How can you not hear me? So we sit there because we understand. Jesus in this passage is asking that same question. Can you not hear God? Can you not hear God? Jesus comes in the temple and he is just, it, it, yesterday he had come in on the donkey and he'd been singing Hosanna. It is Monday now. And as he comes into the temple, he overturns the tables, he kicks out and cleans up this court of the Gentiles, which is the location of this activity. And then he says, my house, this house of God, is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. And it's like, can you not hear God? <clears throat> At this point in the story, 
the story kind of reads like a uh, kind of reads like a comic book, where Jesus comes in and he sees the commotion that's happening, and so he he just he snaps into action and he goes over to one table, flips it over, and the money falls down. He goes, "Oh, I'm not done yet." And then he walks over to the animals and he starts driving the animals out, and the bird people are going, "Oh no, oh no, oh no!" And then he comes over and he throws over the bird cages, and pretty soon. Section by section, Jesus clears out the temple. No more people selling animals. No more people exchanging money. No more people selling birds. You can kind of envision the comic book scene. You know, pow, boom, snap. Dramatic effect, birds fly over. Jesus comes in and he cleans house. I love this passage of scripture as a kid because it showed superhero Jesus, right? A lot, if you were raised in the church, the picture of Jesus that you have is this picture of Jesus. Child on lap, hand on sheep, halo overhead, praying. (laughs) And I'm not saying that that version of Jesus isn't like important and compelling. But you know, for a kid coming into his teenage years, you know, that Jesus, you're just like, okay. You know, maybe that'll be important later on in life. Uh, But this Jesus right here. Now that's a compelling Jesus. That's Jesus that has a little bit of passion, superhero Jesus. But the same passion that intrigued me as a little guy kind of frightens me now. Because Jesus is very angry here. Jesus is not simply a pushover who has so much grace that just anything goes. You know, anything you want to do in the temple, that's fine. I love grace. You know, I'm going to die for you. It's okay. But Jesus in this passage is angry. Jesus was angry because of the commotion that was happening there in the temple. He quotes Isaiah 56 and he quotes Jeremiah 7 when he says that my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And what he was angry about was that God's intention for the temple was being violated from the beginning. Even before the construction of the temple, before the construction of the tabernacle, from the beginning of creation, God's intent for his creation was to have a relationship with him. That's why God created man in his image, in the image of God, made he them. And the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3 that God went down to walk with Adam walk with Adam in the coolness of the day from the beginning. God's intention for his creation was relationship. In Genesis, that relationship was shattered when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. But God's rescue plan was set on restoring this relationship. And we see people like Enoch. Enoch walked with God. He was not, for God took him. And what a sweet relationship. Moses talked with God face to face as a man talks to his friend. God desires relationship. And as the story of God's redemptive plan comes, starts progressing, he comes to Moses and he says, Moses, I want you to build me a tent. I want you to build me a tabernacle. And that is where I'm going to dwell. When Moses finishes building the tabernacle, God descends in the glory of a cloud and his glory, his presence rests there in the tabernacle. From the tabernacle, Solomon built the temple. 
And the same thing happened when Solomon built the temple, that when they were dedicating the temple, the priests could not continue their dedicating service because God descended and his presence was there with the temple. The temple was to be the physical location on earth where God's presence would meet with man. That was where people met God. That was the intention. And Jesus was angry because that intention was being violated. And, and we understand when our intentions are not met, right? Any parents here have been to Disneyland? And around 5 or 6 o'clock in the evening, uh, you're, you're dragging your kids around and they're, they're starting to go a little bit slower. And then they start going a little bit slower and slower until finally just, <gasps> and they just explode, you know. And you're, just, and you're sitting there. And you get down on their level and you just tell them, this is supposed to be the happiest place on earth. (laughs) But you have made it into a swamp of whining. You're like, you don't realize that you're violating the intention here. I think Jesus' anger was maybe a little bit greater than, than when we go to Disneyland with young children. But he was angry. Instead of being a place of prayer, the temple courts had become a marketplace. And in that marketplace, there was racial and there was economic injustice, where this was the court of the Gentiles. It was the part of the temple mount where the Gentiles could worship God. And instead of this being a place of worship, they had constructed into a marketplace, effectively saying, we do not value outsiders worshiping the Jewish God. This is going to be an insider-only religion. And just like at Disneyland, because there were pilgrims coming from a far distance and they had to buy their sacrifices here, no doubt there was a little bit of extortion, a little bit of taken off of the top because they were tourists. They had to pay that price. And so there were racial and there are economic problems that are happening here and it's easy for us to say how dare they but I think when we do that like we miss the fact that like the they that we say how dare they is us (laughs) right and honestly this makes a lot of sense like, if Jesus had never showed up on the scene and said, if Jesus had never shown up on the scene and said, like, get out of here, if we were just looking back, what they were doing in the temple makes sense. Let me, let me explain that. When pilgrims were coming to Jerusalem, which was a mandate by God, uh, they, the, the Passover feast, which is what is happening here in this story, is necessary uh, for pilgrims to come and be a part of it. And as pilgrims are coming, uh, many of them, because the Jewish, uh, Jewish nation had been scattered, come from far distances. They are pilgrims pilgriming, uh, pilgrimaging to Jerusalem, and they need to buy their sacrifices there in Jerusalem. And not only do they need to buy their sacrifices, uh, but they also need to exchange currency from whatever foreign place that they come to the currency of the temple shekel because it was the temple shekel that you could use in order to pay your temple tax, which was required for every male. And so this economic process, this business, it needed to be there, right? And, and, And not only did it need to exist, but it kind of made, made sense to have it there in the court of the Gentiles, right? And 
If you've ever been to Jerusalem, uh, in one of the museums, I forget which one, they have an example, they have a model built of the ancient city of Jerusalem. And if you were to go and look at the ancient city of Jerusalem, you can hop on Google, uh, they have great pictures of it, and you look at the, the city of Jerusalem from the first century, and you're saying, hey, if I'm going to put a giant marketplace somewhere, where would I put it? Without a doubt, you would say the most logical place is going to be on the Temple Mount. It's the largest flat surface. It's inside the city. It's protected by the fort that is connected to the temple there. And it's easy access to take your sacrifice and come into the temple. And you got to understand, this was a huge operation. This wasn't like five or ten people coming in and, and, and buying a lamb and, and walking off. This was a giant operation. Josephus, a Jewish historian who wrote for Rome, said that in one Passover near this time, uh, under the rule of Nero it was, uh, in one Passover, there were over 250,000 lambs sacrificed for Passover. And if you do the math, the, what Josephus says is you can estimate 10 lambs, or excuse me, 10 people per lamb. And so you're talking about 2.5 million people inside the ancient city of Jerusalem. And just to give us another Disneyland context, the average Disneyland attendance is about 44,000 per persons uh, daily. Uh, they'll close their gates at 80,000, right? And I want no, I don't want to be anywhere near that 80,000 Disneyland mark, right? But can you imagine 2.5 million people in the city of Jerusalem? This is a bustling business opportunity. And the, t the court of the Gentiles is by far the most convenient place to have uh, this set up. With that in mind, let me find my place in my notes. Nope. With that in mind, Jesus comes in and he's aware this is a needed enterprise. People need to do this. This is the most convenient space. But still, this is not appropriate. Excuse me, somebody's calling me. I have to have my phone on because my wife's about to go into labor. We get even calls from Walnut Creek. <sighs> reset, reset, reset. Ah, here we are. This business was necessary. The location was convenient. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, hey, despite all of that, despite the fact that this is a necessary business and this is the most convenient place, business and convenience are not good enough reasons to clog up this sacred space. Business and convenience are not good enough reasons to clog up this sacred space. You say it that way. That's not a problem that they had in the first century. That's a problem that we have today, right? Business and convenience clogging up our sacred spaces? Yeah, that's our story. <laughs> that's what we're struggling with today. Anybody have this happen to them? You know where they're, uh, this happens to me when I'm sitting in first service where Sunday morning, uh, 8.30 service, and then it comes right around 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock, all of a sudden, my phone goes 
crazy with all the alarms that I've set for the next day, right? So all the nine o'clock business hour alarms are like popping up on my phone. I'm like, oh yeah, I do have that meeting. Oh yeah, I do need to write that sermon. Oh yeah, I'm supposed to be doing this. And then all of a sudden this sacred space is like totally ruined by a cute little pink phone, uh, right? Or how many of you guys have been reading your Bible or maybe listening to your Bible again on, on cute little pink phones and all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden you get the and you pick it up and you're like, okay. And you're typing and all of a sudden a sacred space is violated. That business and convenience violate our sacred spaces. How many of you guys have said something along the lines of, uh, man, it's just been a crazy week at work and so I don't think that I'm going to be able to make it to church on Sunday. Business and convenience violating our sacred spaces. And sometimes it's not, it's not business, right? It's just convenience, right? Where it's like 8.30, like I'm, I'm kind of like a 9.30 a.m. service, but then there's community hour and we can't all fit in the parking lot and, so, and I don't really have a community that I feel like I'm a part of. And so, I mean, maybe if they had a 9.30 service, then I would come to that. But, and then 11 o'clock, I think the football game starts at noon. I got to stay on that fantasy stuff, so I don't know about, Right? Where it's not a matter of, like, I can't go to church. It's just, like, it's kind of inconvenient. I'll catch the podcast. I'll watch, you know, I'll watch the video uh, the next day. Where convenience, and I definitely say, like, this is true for me because I have three children at home, right? That coming to church is maybe the most inconvenient thing ever. (laughs) But busyness and convenience frequently clog up our sacred space. And Jesus, Jesus, uh, he goes a little crazy, right? Where what he doesn't do is, hey, I just feel like there's an inappropriate amount of uh, market that's happening here in the court of the Gentiles. Can we call a meeting with the Sanhedrin? Over the course of the next year, can we revert, you know, the, the flow of, uh, of this marketplace to some over here? Let's go outside of the city walls where Jesus comes in, and he's not reasonable at all. He goes a special kind of crazy, and he's flipping over tables, and he's kicking people out. And I think we need to realize how offensive this is. Because Jesus isn't simply like assaulting the system. He's assaulting individuals, right? Because this is Ezekiel's exchange table right here. And Jesus is coming over to Ezekiel, the budding entrepreneur who sold everything that he had to get into the city. And he's going to make it big as the, as the financial trader of Jerusalem. And Jesus is coming over to Ezekiel and he flips Ezekiel's table over. Say, like, hey, Jesus, like you're, you're ruining my life here. Like this is... I've invested everything to do this, and you're just tossing it over? Don't you care about me? He comes over to Ben's birds, and he's like, no, 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 you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. And all of a sudden, Ben's birds are flying all over. He's like, hey, I needed the Passover bonus in order to afford to continue living in Jerusalem that Ezekiel and Ben were personally offended, right? They're saying, hey, no, you're attacking me. Whatever happened to this Jesus? (laughs) Right? That Jesus in the Gospels is painted as the, lot, as the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And we love that Jesus, don't we? Cute and cuddly. Mm. Taking away my sins. He's, he suffered the death on the cross so I don't have to. Yes, Jesus. But you know he's also called the lion of the tribe of Judah? 
And I think we should be a little terrified of that. <laughs> Lions are terrifying. Right? And Jesus comes in yesterday on Sunday when it was the triumphal entry. He was the, he was the lamb that humbly rode in as the servant king. But then today, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he is saying, there are wrongs here that will be righted. And he fixes it. The American church loves having a problem. All right, we, like, we just don't have the, the zeal that Jesus has, and I am including myself in this. Have you ever heard somebody say, like, yeah, God's just, God's just working on my heart with that right now? Like, what does that mean? Uh, you know, man, I've just been, I've just been really thinking about uh, that area of my life. So does that mean you're not going to do anything about it? Does that mean that like, you just... You like you feel good about feeling bad. You know, it's like I feel really guilty. That service really convicted me. So you gonna do anything, right? Or it's just like it's just like, hey, we feel good to feel bad, but certainly we aren't gonna change. <laughs> Jesus comes in, he gets a business, he changes things up. He says there is going to be a change that happens today. And I wonder if in our church, like repentance needs to be just more dramatic and real, and just like, hey, I'm messing up. And I'm not gonna. I'm gonna stop making excuses for it. I'm just gonna. And it change. When Jesus does cast out the temple, I love what happens next. He clears it out, and then what happens next is that the blind and the lame come to him, and Jesus heals them. Because when we defend sacred space. It's in that sacred space that there is healing. And when we have that chance to heal, it's out of that health that we can authentically praise our God that after the blind and the lame are healed, the, the back chorus of that are children saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And sure, there were people criticizing, but when there is a safe place. God can do a mighty work in our hearts. And I don't want us to think that this story is merely about Jesus wanting us to defend our sacred space. Jesus is doing something so much bigger than that in this passage. Jesus in this passage, as he stops the marketplace, as he stops the selling of sacrifices, what he is effectively doing is saying, no more sacrificial system. The sacrificial system is done. You're thinking, Jesus, 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 this is supposed to be a place where people connect with God. And the way that God's arranged for people to connect with him is by making a sacrifice in order for that sacrifice to atone them with God. Without the sacrifice, how are people going to be restored to God? How can there be that relationship? But Jesus stops the sacrifice because he knows. Coming up on Friday, there's going to be the sacrifice once and for all that will forever reconcile us to God. In Hebrews chapter 9, the Bible tells us that Jesus entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh... 
How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Jesus Christ said, no more sacrifices, because I'm going to be the sacrifice. Here's my question. If Jesus was zealous to defend the, the, the sacred space in the temple, only to five days later say the temple is obsolete, how much more is he passionate about defending our sacred space? That he, he tore the veil so each of us individually have access to God. That we don't have to go through the rituals. We have direct access to God. We are all priests. But if that is the case, how much more does God say, you need to defend your sacred space? Can I ask those two questions? One, what is your sacred space? What is your sacred space? Where's the time and the place that you meet with God? And two, what do you need to do to defend that place? Maybe it's more sleep. Maybe it's less sleep. Maybe it's less TV. Maybe it's airplane mode. Maybe it's, maybe it's just a little thing on your schedule. But what is it that you need to do to defend your sacred space? Let's pray.